Ahoy, motherfuckers. Welcome to Hindsight. I'm Derek. I'm joined by Brandon. Uh, today we're talking about Ghostbusters, not the um, remake, which is good. And we'll talk about that. In a, let, let me explain. So because Ghostbusters Afterlife is coming out in a couple of weeks, we're going to discuss all of the Ghostbusters movies, uh, starting with Ghostbusters Part 1. Next week, we will discuss Ghostbusters Part 2. And then after that, we will discuss uh, the remake of Ghostbusters, um, which I'm going to have a grand old time explaining to all of you uh, beard neck motherfuckers why that movie should get a lot more credit than it got from you punk bitches. Um, Brandon, how are you doing today? I'm great. Uh, I forgot how much I enjoyed this movie. It was right? a lot of fun to watch. Right? Did you know that um, Bill Murray's lines were all improvised? When you watch it, it's like, okay. That makes sense. Like a lot of his lines were improvised. And then Rick Moranis's lines were also that party scene was all improvised when he was talking about the wild salmon and whatnot. Um, oh, really? I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. From end to end, that was uh, improvised as well in one single shot, um, which I thought was pretty impressive. Um, but this movie um, is a bonafide classic. Uh, we are not here to trash this movie, I guess, uh, because it is a great movie, but I do have one big problem with the movie. I think everybody's seen the movie, so can we just discuss the movie, Brandon, and, and, and what we thought of the movie like um we don't have to do a recap of this movie right this could be a straight up review like this is ghostbusters this is a platinum certified classic in the world of uh movies right at this mm -hmm. juncture we can we can agree on that mm -hmm. so the first thing i want to say is walter peck the head of the epa he was right <laughs> he wasn't right he was right um they were, they did without getting any permission from anybody, set up a fucking nuclear tank in a firehouse <laughs> that went against code. He was right. It's just what made him mad was that he was right. And he also ran up against Bill Murray, who was an absolute dick to everybody in this movie. <laughs> and that pissed him off enough to where he was like, fuck it, I'm gonna go get the cops. But Walter Peck was not wrong in his assessment. Like, he's with the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency. Dude, you have a nuclear plant in your building. I got a problem with that. Well, I guess now, that's true, because he did tell him it's for ghosts. And why mm -hmm. would he believe that? Why would he believe that there's ghosts? Like, he literally said yes. throughout the movie that y'all are a bunch of uh, hucksters that are taking money from people that... Like, okay, so this is a dude who doesn't believe in ghosts and also just had to deal with Bill Murray. I'd be mad, too. Yeah, I got, you know what? You got a point. So when I first saw it, like, people literally um, called him dickless for, like, the rest of the time after this movie came out. People hated his guts. Kids would walk past him or drive past him in school buses and be like, that's dickless and all that kind of stuff. He's not wrong. The only reason why the mayor... When he got the Ghostbusters arrested, told them to shut down the uh, nuclear chamber, everything blows up because, of course, um, ghosts are everywhere. The Ghostbuster gets sent to jail. 
they get released from jail because the mayor wants to see them. Also, the um, officer who comes and says, hey, the mayor wants to see y'all, none other than Al Powell. So both he and uh, John McClain worked in New York before they moved to Los Angeles to help save the Nakatomi building. That oh, was, that was Carl Winslow? That was Carl Winslow. Oh, I didn't even realize that. Yeah, that was him saying, you know, the, the mayor needs to see y'all. Uh, and then they get to see the mayor. And again, Walter Peck is laying out his, his ideas. He's laying out why this shit's illegal. And Bill Murray hit him off with basically, I know you are, but what am I? <laughs> I know you are, but what am I? Yes, he is dickless. And so he got him out of his game, which we all... There's a kid on my basketball team. Uh, he's one of them kids who, if he was playing on Hold the on, you team, know he was a cop in Avengers Endgame? Who? Carl Winslow? Yes. I didn't even see him. So now these are all tied together. Right? I'm about to go back and find him in, in Endgame now. That's about to be my new goal. If Listeners, please tweet me a picture of Carl Winslow in Endgame. Just take a video of it and put it up so we don't have to look for it because I'm too busy. I'm sure we can Google it too, but still. Um, I didn't even know that. I did not know that at all. Um, once they, Once you have that kid that you play against who talks all the time and shows people and just you know, is like, now you see me, now you don't type player. You fucking hate that kid. But when he's on your team or when they're on your team, they end up being your most instrumental player more often than not. Like this kid came and played for us yesterday. And when we played against him, I was like, oh, this kid is just obnoxious. But he went out there yesterday and literally laid out to get charges he got rebounds. He talked on the court. He did everything. He frustrated one of the kids on the on the court so much that his dad wanted that the other kid's dad was like, "You don't have to take that." And that kid was the best <laughs> player on the team. So he went out there and frustrated the best player on the team. It was beautiful to watch. And I was like, "I'm glad he's on our side." And that's what happened to Walter Peck. He went in there with a game plan of what he was going to discuss to the mayor about why these guys are fucking quacks and need to be locked away. And they hit him off with dickless over here. Yeah, I agree. He is dickless. And so he rushed them and got out of his mindset. He tried to fight them and got hemmed up. And then Bill Murray, Peter Vinkman, went over to the mayor and was like, Mayor, do you want to be known as the guy who saved one million potential voters? <laughs> That's a good way to present it. That's all it took. That's all it took. There was no further evidence. I mean, they were right. They were right in this situation because they knew what they had, but nobody else, like, if I walked into the mayor's office today and said, Mayor, there's ghosts throughout California. Only I can see them and save you from them. Do well, you no, at this point, everybody has seen the ghosts, though. No, while I've they're having something. this meeting, while they're having this meeting, that's when the ghosts are flying throughout the area, driving shit crazy, right? That's mm -hmm. what I... Or no, you're right. You're right. They had already seen the ghost because some the, of the uh, cops had already seen the ghost from outside that building. And the priest came in and was, or the cardinal came in because he was like, "Yeah, uh, this is a act of God." Which, dude, ghosts, I, I truly doubt are, are an act of God, homie. Well, he um, was saying they were demons, pretty much. Yes. Um, but to go all the way back to the beginning, because again, I just wanted to say while well, Walter Peck was correct, the mayor 
uh, cowed in because he was like, yes, I do want to save a million potential voters. Y'all have full free reign. Um, beginning of the movie, Peter Vinkman is literally showing us he's a dick at this point by telling this Afro-headed white boy that all of his psychic thoughts are wrong. Even when he's right, while telling this blonde-haired woman that all of her thoughts are right when they're all wrong. Mm-hmm. And the, 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 the downside of being wrong is you get electric shocks. And so he shocks that, that, that Afro-headed kid. I don't know if he had an Afro before he started taking the electric shocks. <laughs> <laughs> but he's catching them. And he's like, you know what? This is not worth it. And then the motherfucker said, you're only paying me $5. And that's when I was like, what the fuck? I never looked to see what $5 in 1984 is worth now. I'm going to look now. I bet it's probably like $12. Right? It is currently worth $12.86 in 2021. So to get shocked by a guy who's literally cheating, (laughs) you get paid $12.84. And while he's doing this, the guy storms out and he's like, I'm a, this isn't worth it. And he leaves. And so Peter's left alone with the blonde-haired woman, and he's trying to push up on her. He has this bad habit of trying to. Um, he walks right up to the line, right, complete over and over again. Right. He don't really step over the line all the way, but he walks right up to it. Yeah, with both <laughs> her and with Dana later yeah, on. He he's right, like, he walks right up to that line. Um, and so uh, Dan Aykroyd's character. Ray comes in. And he's I like, like him. Everybody loves Bill Murray in this movie, but I like Dan Aykroyd's character. No, I thought Dan Aykroyd's character was like the, and when we get to the Ghostbusters remake, I thought that he was a lot like um, Melissa McCarthy's character in the remake as far as just the excitement of what was going on. I thought that he was, I thought he was hilarious. Um, I thought that he was very much just we're going to find a ghost. And that's why when he had that dream about the ghost jacking him off <laughs> while the Ghostbusters song was the Ghostbusters theme song was playing. That's why I laughed so hard because was the Ghostbusters theme song in can in in the in the movie or was it just something we heard? Or is you that really their theme song, like in the movie? No, I think that like was in just, the in the I movie just, canon. I just think that's the song we heard while the montage was playing because in the next uh, movie, they're not playing that same song. In the next movie, they can afford to have Bobby Brown come out and play their theme song. Oh, yeah, that's right. He did come. He wasn't uh, Ghostbusters 2. Mm-hmm. So I forgot. there was right at the point where the ghost is jacking or giving um, Ray a blowjob, which is funny to me because of something that I'll get to in a second. But right when that happens is when the song says, Busted makes me feel good. And that's when I lost it because I'm an American and I'm childish and Busted makes me feel good too. So um, the problem that I had with this movie were two small things. Brandon, what do you, I mean, what, what are your thoughts on the movie thus far? 
No, like this movie was just fun to me. I at at first, I, like I've been, th- I was just thinking about a lot of different things while watching this movie. Like I was trying to figure out if this came first or if the cartoon came first. This came first, and this came first, which mm-hmm. made me start to think. Like I'm not one of those people who are like, oh man, they'll never come up with anything original these days. But like this is a pretty cool idea to come up with in 1984. Like it's mm-hmm. it's kind of a unique story. Uh, it's I mean it's it's not a unique in in terms of storytelling, but it's a, it's a unique story in itself idea. So I thought that was cool. At this point, I couldn't re- I haven't watched this movie in a long time, so I was like I was trying to remember how they got to the point where everybody knew that Ghost was around. They were just riding around in the car and shit. Mm-hmm. So I was I kept trying to wait for that point. I think coming up after this point was the point where they were in the school and the dean is like. Yeah, you gotta get the fuck out of here. We're not funding this shit no more. Yeah. And I was thinking to myself, like, if you don't believe in ghosts, why the fuck were you funding this shit to begin with? Like, it might have been a dean before him. Oh, uh, yeah, I guess that's true. I mean, we don't know how long they've been there, but they literally made portable nuclear packs for their backs. And then after the movie, and I will probably get to this. I might as well talk about this now. After the movie, I was trying to read up about stuff with the movie. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea that they considered Richard Pryor for Bill Murray's. That's but more than that. That's hilarious. To, more than that leads to my issue with this movie. First of all, um, before we get there, so blowjob, Buster makes you feel good. Um, how do you feel that? Because when Slimer, when when they went into that hotel and saw the ghost that wasn't called Slimer. You know, it was called a gas bag or whatever it was called, and they named it Slimer later on in the cartoon. But Slimer's literally pouring food into its mouth, and it's disappearing. Like, it's eating the food. It has teeth, big-ass white teeth. It looks like a meme. But later on, when Slimer is drinking the wine in the ballroom, the wine is going right through it. So which one is it? Can he eat the food but can't drink wine? Like, why exactly is that? Why is that a rule? So, liquid versus solid, right? So, was the ghost actually was Ray actually able to feel this wet dream that he was having, or was the ghost like missing? That's neither here nor there. That's just something that sits in my head as I watch this happen because Slimer was really fucking that food up, and I was hungry. The thing that sticks with me the most about this movie was that Winston Zeddemore was the only black person in this movie for the most part, other than Al, uh, who showed up, Carl Winslow, sorry, who showed up to let them out of jail, and one other dude. Um, My problem with that is that Winston Zeddemore was supposed to be an Air Force demolitions expert and have this big-ass backstory and all that kind of stuff. He shows up more than halfway through the movie. And, and doesn't have a lot of lines, doesn't have a lot of stuff to say. He's more standing to the side. He gets trained, and they go to jail, and they go out to fight um, uh, Zul and, and Gozer. Um, initially, they tried to, they, they wrote the part for Eddie Murphy. And Eddie Murphy, when they wrote the part for Eddie Murphy, he was going to be there from the very beginning. He was going to be one of the four original Ghostbusters and be super brilliant and all this kind of shit. When Eddie turned it down to do, I believe, 48 hours, 
they trimmed his part back to like nothing and then gave it to Ernie Hudson. And that's what pissed me off. Well, I, well, here's the thing. If you wrote this movie for Eddie Murphy, mm-hmm. you can't really keep that same script with Ernie Hudson. It's not going to work. You could keep some of it. You could keep the storyline. You can give him more yeah, lines. Yeah, but you than probably could keep the storyline because you can't write us. You can't. If I'm writing a character for Eddie Murphy, right? Mm-hmm. I need to get someone else like Eddie Murphy if I'm going to drop out to keep because I'm going to write the character for someone like Eddie Murphy. And the lines are going to be comedy lines, and they're probably going to be need to be delivered by somebody who can deliver those lines. So I'm not trying to defend them, but I'm just saying if at if at one if it's close to when you're starting, Eddie Murphy's like, no, nah, I can't do this, and you replace him, you you probably would have to rewrite the movie to give Ernie Hudson a significant role. Because in the second one, in the second one, he had a much larger role. He had role. a much larger role, yeah. It, from what I remember, he had a much larger role in the second one. And it's pretty amazing that he got the role because he wasn't really in much before this movie. Nope. Some TV shows. He was in the, you know, he guest starred in the A-Team. I'm looking at it now. He was in Webster for one episode. That's funny, actually. Uh, like some Dukes of Hazard, he was in there for one episode. Taxi, one episode. He's just done some Little House on the Prairie, different strokes. So he's just doing some random TV shows here and there. Then he got this. So like, I get exactly where you're coming from. I'm just saying, if it was, I didn't know it was meant for Eddie Murphy. Yeah. So if if that's the case, that kind of makes sense to me that they were just like, uh, yeah, he's yeah. not gonna fit being Eddie Murphy. Yeah. Like, imagine writing a role for Kevin Hart, right? You all the Kevin Hart movies have the same role. And so you write this role for Kevin Hart, and it's got Kevin Hart jokes. And then all of a sudden, you get Yaya. He's like, oh, I want to be that role. You're going to be like, um, yeah, this has to be a different movie. This cannot, you can't just come in and play Kevin Hart. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, because it, and, and it's not, I think the thing was like in your example, Yaya is a talented actor. He's just not a comedian type actor as far as we can tell. Mm-hmm. He's done a lot of dramatic roles. Uh, and so he wouldn't fit. Okay, yep, I see where you're coming from. Got you. You're right there. I got you, bro. But yeah, I agree with you. He didn't really say shit. He didn't, well, he didn't have much to say. This movie He kind of came in random. Because I, I remember when I'm watching the movie, I was like, I thought Ernie Hudson was in this movie. For like the first half of this movie, I was like, maybe, was he only in the second one? Mm-hmm. And then he shows up to apply for a job. And then I was like, would a black person go apply to be a Ghostbuster? No. Even in 1984? No. I don't care how broke you are. What <laughs> you're not going to do is openly go look for ghosts. No, that's like being a cop. Now, no, I would not go be a Ghostbuster. Ever. Mm-mm. Ever. Because uh, a few simple rules... Rule number one is that the black guy always dies first in the movie. So, <laughs> no, I've been traumatized enough to where I know. Um, so, <sighs> they get a call uh, from a public library that there's been a scaring or there's been a ghost. And the public, li- the librarian's this old white lady, like hella old. Like she looks like the the grandmother who was rapping in the wedding singer and shit. Hello. Um, And she's laid out on the table and she's like, I saw it and it was floating and it didn't have any legs. And uh, 
Egon, the, the last original Ghostbuster, is waving his EKG meter over her face and it's spiking up and all that kind of stuff. And Peter Vinkman looks at this old lady and says, are you ministering? And the librarian's like, why does that matter? And he's like, I'm a psychiatrist. Let me work. Turns out he's actually right. Mm -hmm. Like, there's a connection. <laughs> between ministrating and uh, psychokinetic energy. So I was like, okay, yeah, cool. Um, but um, after that, they go back to the, that's when they go back um, to the... Was this after Aliens? I don't know. Let me see. I don't know. Um, I do know that this was the first time I saw this movie, actually the first time when I was like four or five. And this is the first time that I could think, yeah, Alien came out in 1979. Yeah, so Sigourney Weaver, it's weird to see her in this role because I just associate her with Ripley. I've never seen Aliens. Really? None of them? I've seen one of them once. I yeah, think I may have seen that instead of Terminator. I think I've seen Aliens. That's but I, I've, I've never seen like the series. Um, I just know stuff now from you know. So you never seen Prometheus or none of them. No. Oh, we should have done that to the Terminator. Okay, that's good to know. Right. Um, now. it it's one of those things where again, for some reason, my family just didn't fuck with it. It's, it's a nasty alien. <laughs> so because they Zeno never Morris. fucked with it. It never, I never got a chance to watch it. And mm -hmm. so the only time I really saw the aliens, like I understood the reference in uh, Spaceballs where the alien okay, popped yeah. out of his chest and started dancing across the counter. But I associated it more to the Hello, My Baby, Hello, My Darling from Looney Tunes. And so it took me a while to realize that the alien, the guy that the alien popped out of his chest was the same guy in Aliens that that happened to, and that's why he was like, not again. Okay. So, they get back to the to the uh, the college, and that's when they get shut down. They walk in, and they're literally carting all their shit out. <laughs> and they're like, yo, you're, you're, you're quacks, and we're not supporting this anymore. And so they're outside getting drunk. And um, Ray is like, what's gonna, what's, what are we gonna do? And, and Peter's like, something's going to work out. It pretty much, pretty much, he says, it's, it's going to work out. It always does. Uh, and they go to get a loan, not even get a loan. Peter convinces Ray to sell his parents' fucking house or put a third mortgage on his parents' house, which Egon pleasantly calculates, yeah, your mortgage is going to be like $95,000 in 1984. Which made my eyes twitch. That's a lot, right? Um, and so they go and they're looking for a place to set up shop at, and they find the firehouse. And they're like, "Yo, this is a fire trap. The wire is showing. Like, there's nothing good about this place." And Ray's like, "It has a pole," and he slides down the pole, and he's like, "We should sleep here tonight." And the woman who was just about to start negotiating with him smiles at them and says, "So it looks like you're gonna take it, huh?" And they're like, "Yes." Um, and then, uh, we meet Dana who is 
Sigourney Weaver, and she's a cellist. Um, she's a classical musician, classically trained. And she's walking into her apartment. And as she's walking into her apartment, we also meet Lewis, who's played by Rick Moranis, who's annoying as fuck. <laughs> yes. I, he He's the dude from Little Giants, right? Yes. Yeah. And um, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Honey, kid. I Shrunk the Kids. Yeah. He is That's not nearly this from. annoying in other movies. Like, they told him, look, I need you to be that dude. And he was like, I can do that. Um, the annoyance that he had here was to the level of the uh, guy who sold insurance on Groundhog Day. Like, I didn't even <laughs> want to listen to this guy talk. And so he's running up to Dana. He's like, we've got a party going on. Do you want to come? And, and she's like, um, I, might be, I'm, I might be busy. And he's like, if you're not busy, then you should come by. And so she goes in and she puts her groceries on the counter. And she uh, starts to put them, or she starts... She turns around to put the dry foods away. She's bought eggs and the egg carton opens up and eggs start opening, like eggs start cracking and frying on her countertop. Um, and well, so before she, before he, out. before this starts happening, Lewis has actually, the reason why Lewis is talking to her or has stopped her, he gets around to it saying, your TV was on really loud and the superintendent was wondering what was going on. So I turned my TV on really loud too. So then they would think that both of our TVs were broken. And she goes in and that's when uh, she sees that the, the eggs are leaping out of her shells and cooking on the countertop. And then she opens her refrigerator and she sees a temple and a dog that growls the word Zool. You know what's funny? The, that she waited to see the dog growl Zul before she slammed the fucking door. If I open the door and there's no milk in there. The graphics back in the day look so cheesy sometimes, but those animatronic animals from these types of movies are way more creepy than like G CGI yes. animals. They're so creepy looking. Yes. Every time I see one of these 80s movies and they do that, I'm like, like the never ending story is so creepy to me. Oh, it is? Yeah, them fucking animals are just weird looking. Guess what's on the list? No, that's not on the list. It's on the list. Never Ending Story Part 1 and the Never Ending Story Part 2 because the Never Ending Story never ends. Just wait till we talk about the horse and the the, the 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 dying horse. I can't wait. Um, I had no idea there was a Never Ending Story Part 2. Yeah. Yeah, there's a Never Ending Story Part 2. It's, it's Yeah. <laughs> So uh, Dana shows up at the uh, firehouse saying, yo, I need to talk to a Ghostbuster. And of course, Peter pops up and he's like, I will. I'll take this one on, fellas. I'll take this one for the team. Let's go back to your apartment. And Peter shows up not knowing what he's doing at all. Basically, he's the one of the three who doesn't even know why the fuck. What the fuck are we doing? He's just in it for the money. He was like, we're going to get rich, basically. Mm -hmm. And so Dana's like, the fuck are you doing? And Peter's like, I'm licensed. <laughs> and she's like, with what? And he's like, I went to school for this, madam. And he starts flirting with her like hella. Um, and then he, he opens up the refrigerator and the refrigerator is a refrigerator. And he's like, you got a lot of junk food. And now she's mad. And 
she's like you gotta go and he's like you want to go on a date and she's like fuck you fuck no and he's like well if we go on a date then i'll be able to talk to you more about what's going on here (sighs) then they get another call uh after they find out that the food they're eating for that dinner is the last of the food they're gonna get because that's the last of the money the last of the petty cash they have i mean though fellas you, you literally bought three fucking arcade systems you bought three arcade cabinets homies like, what are we doing with the petty cash right now? What are we doing with the money? Why do you have three arcade cabinets? I'm just jealous because when I was growing up, I didn't even notice I had three arcade cabinets. But now as a guy who wants arcade cabinets, why do you have those Ghostbusters? They get it. busy. It's like a firehouse. You're waiting around. They're waiting around for a long time. But all of a sudden, right as they say that they're going broke, they get a call that um there is a disturbance at the hotel disturbance at the hotel and that's when they see um slimer and that's when uh peter gets slimed by slimer who literally rushes him um they tell the manager they're going to take care of it somehow egon ray and peter are all up on the 12th floor where there's always been problems the manager tells them but now it's gotten out of hand they're all up on the 12th floor they show Ray seeing Slimer and then Slimer goes away from him. They show Ray talking to Egon who's walking down another hallway. And then they show Ray talking to Peter and saying, Peter, be on the lookout for this fully formed ectoplasmic, whatever they call it. And then Slimer shows up and slimes him. Ray runs to where Peter is and he's like, you got slimed. What do you feel like? And he's like, I feel sticky. And then somehow while this is happening, Egon has gone back downstairs to the ballroom. And he's like, it's in the ballroom now. So let's go deal with it here. Like how, how'd you get back downstairs so quick, Egon? What are we doing? How'd you know that? And they go into the ballroom and they completely destroy the ballroom before they even try and capture Slimer. I need to know the backstory to Slimer because these ghosts are supposed to be former people. Why does Slimer look like that? That's the question. Because the library, the the library ghost looked like a librarian. It even turned to them and said, shh. Yeah, I know. So what, what's Slimer's backstory? That's a good question. These are the things I was thinking watching this movie. Mm -hmm. I was very interested in some of these things because Again, I couldn't remember if this came before or after the TV show. So I was trying to think, like, oh, did they build this shit up and then this did the movie? But no, the movie came first. You know, I wonder if they laid it out in the cartoon. Because I know Slimer became a member of the cartoon. He became almost like their pet. Mm-hmm. So, hmm, that's a good question. Like, did they? I doubt it. I doubt it. Um, so at this point, they pull out their fully unlicensed nuclear reactors which they almost killed a woman with them a cleaning lady is walking down the hallway (laughs) mind her own business and jump scares the three of them so bad that they pull out their nuclear reactors and shoot at her burning up all her toilet paper she was like what the fuck and they're like our bad my bad my bad my bad so (laughs) um they go into the ballroom And they trap it. They trap the Slimer ghost in the ballroom. But they also destroy the ballroom. And there's a woman waiting outside the ballroom because I guess she's supposed to be having an event. 
And then they had the nerve to charge that man $5,000. What do you mean the nerve? Dude, we're the only people in this market. We can set the rates. Yeah, but you can't destroy the room. Yes, I can. In, in, the pursuit of, in the pursuit of capturing this ghost, and you know what? Honestly, they came out. We came, we saw, we kicked its ass. They closed the doors to the room so he couldn't see what happened. And then they charged him before he could go in and see everything <laughs> that happened. No, first the guy was like, I'm not paying you. I'm just not going to pay. And be, no, no. First, they came out talking shit. They gave him the price. He was like, I'm not going to pay this. They were like, cool, we'll just let it go back in there. So they literally blackmailed him into paying $5,000. That's smart. <laughs> Yeah, I guess that is worth not having the ghost back in there. People see this stinking ass thing because everybody's holding their nose. We'll just release it back in there for you and we'll go. And there's nobody else who can do what we can do. And the next time the price of the brick is probably going to go the fuck up. <laughs> and so after this, there's a there's a ton of other uh, hauntings that happen. And the uh, Ghostbusters become very very busy and famous um they get interviewed by larry king they get interviewed by joe franklin you know they're on the covers of 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 the atlantic i didn't even know the atlantic was around in 1984 mm-hmm. you know um and then peter somehow is at dana's orchestra practice like how'd you know where she worked at dog but he's there out near the fountain and she's walking out with some dude who I think honestly is the father of baby Oscar in part two. Can't prove it. I know it ain't Peter's baby. They never really discussed that in part two. So um, Peter comes up to her again and, and flirts with her and, and harass her some more. And she's like, do you know anything? And so then she tells him, she, he tells her about Zul, uh, who he discovered is associated with a, a ancient Sumerian god of destruction, Gozer. And then he's like, I'll tell you more about it over dinner. And she's like, okay, fine. I'll go on a date this, with you. This backstory was so random. How did they figure this shit out? Mm-hmm. So it was like, have you ever heard of Zool? No. And the next thing I know, they're like, they know the whole backstory of Zool. And I heard that they were trying to make that Zool cat, the, like the big bad, based on like Grace Jones or David Bowie. Which wouldn't have fit. It they wanted it to be like androgynous, like it, just. Yeah, I mean, I mean, at the same time, the actual character of Gozer, the lady who played Gozer, when I first saw it, I was I was unsure. Yeah, that's what they wanted. Yeah, so that turned out well, and then they kept saying she. So I was like, okay, it's it's a it, it's pronouns are she her. Okay, cool. She's also wearing an absolutely see-through outfit. Okay, great. I am five. And yet at the same time, I know things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I was okay with it. Um, Dana goes back to her apartment. Uh, Lewis goes back to his apartment for the party. He's like, Dana, do you want to come to this party? She's like, no. She goes into her apartment to get ready for this date. While she's getting ready for the date, <sighs> She sits down at her 
love seat to talk or on her Barca lounge or whatever to talk to her mom and and change her clothes. She's wearing tights underneath her uh, underneath her clothes. I guess it's cold out there. Maybe that's how they do it in New York. I don't know. I'm from California. It's the '80s. It's the '80s. Also, you're right. And so while she's sitting down, arms just pop out of her uh, lounger and grab her up. And one covers her mouth, one covers her titties, one covers her waist, and it just rolls her into a door that is that is just shining a bright-ass light, and the door closes behind her, and that's it. She's dead. Um, the next thing that happens is that it goes to Lewis's house, where Lewis is having his, um, his party. And the nigga ain't got no friends. The reason why we know he ain't got no friends is because he literally tells his guests, yeah, I just invited all of my clients. That's who's in the party. It's all clients. And so he's um, getting codes from people and, and telling them about how much the wild salmon costs and, and all that kind of stuff. And he gets a coat from somebody and throws it into a bedroom where, you know, coats go. And the coats land on top of another one of these ghost dogs. And he's not even looking because, you know, he's just tossing the coats in there and closing the door back up. Back in the day, my homies used to go to parties where they would uh, have a coat room like this. They would go to parties where they had a coat room quite like this, and they'd see where the host was throwing the coats to. And then while nobody was looking, they would sneak into that coat room and rob everybody the fuck blind. Who would keep sitting in their fucking coat? Wallet, keys, whatever. You're not thinking about it, I guess. And he's snatching your coat off you and throwing it in there. And it's the same thing. Folks will come to the parties and they be playing that uh, Marvin Gaye song. Oh, yeah with me and you're not thinking about that you're thinking about getting down so they take your coat and you're wearing these tight ass jeans back in the 90s or whatever and they throw your coat into the other room and niggas will go in there and I'm going to take these car keys <laughs> I'm going to take this wallet because not everybody's going to have their wallet in their pocket and so they get robbed that didn't happen in this movie by the way that's just things that used to happen these are the people in my neighborhood the people that you meet each day um and so the ghost dog comes out of the room and everybody's appropriately freaking out. Lewis is not only freaking out, he literally abandons all of his guests, leaves his own apartment, goes down the elevator because they're in the penthouse area apparently, goes down the elevator all the way to the ground floor, runs out the front door, Runs across the street. This dog is on his ass the entire way. Does not fuck with anybody else who was in this apartment. And the apartment was full. Goes past all of them to go to get Lewis. Lewis runs to a restaurant. And he's pounding on the door because for some reason, I guess he went to the emergency exit and the door is locked. So he tries to run back around to the other side. And that's when the dog fucks him up and people watch him because they can't see the ghost. Why they can't see the ghost dog? Maybe that's why it ran past all the people in the apartment. Because they couldn't see him. And he was literally supposed to be the gate master. Or the key master or the gatekeeper. Yeah, I, I forget what he was called. 
And so that maybe that's why they all, maybe that's why it ran past all of them and they weren't tripping, but it literally broke through the door and you heard somebody scream. So it's like, what are we doing here? Because when he got to the restaurant, everybody watched him like slide down the, you know, the, the, the glass of the, the door as I guess he got possessed. And then they just went on with their happy little days of eating dinner and whatever. Yeah, they took over his body. Yeah, but nobody saw it. That was that was strange to me. Um, so then um, that's when they hire Winston Zettimore. And Winston gets hired immediately. And then he gets handed some traps and gets taught by Ray how to get rid of the ghosts in their storage system or whatever. Um, and Peter gets informed that Walter Peck's waiting for him. You know what's funny? Um, um, Ernie Hudson looked old as fuck in this movie. Mm-hmm. And then in Oz, he looks young as fuck because he looks exactly the same as he did in 1984. He does. So in 1984, he looked like he was like 45 years old, 50 years old. And then in, in 2000, he looks like he's 45, 50 years old. And so, so and so um Walter Peck comes in and he's like, yo, this is where he deals with um Peter Vinkman. He's like, I'll be back. I'm gonna be back. And when I get back, <sighs> I'm gonna I'm I'm shut your shit down, basically. Basically, make a long story short, I'm going to shut your shit down. There ain't shit you can do about it, bro. And Peter's like, yeah, whatever. Fuck you, dickless. He doesn't call him dickless at that point in time. But, you know, more or less, this happens. There's a man from the EPA here to see you. He's waiting in your office. EPA, what's he want? I don't know. All I do know is that I've been working two weeks without a break, and you promised me you'd hire more help. Janine, someone with your qualifications would have no trouble finding a top flight job in either the food service or housekeeping industries. You gonna answer that? Quit better jobs than this. Ghostbusters, what do you want? Can I help you? I'm Walter Peck. I represent the Environmental Protection Agency, the third district. Great, how's it going down there? Are you Peter Beckman? Yes, I'm. Dr. Venkman. Exactly what are you a doctor of, Mr. Venkman? Well, I have PhDs in parapsychology and psychology. I see. (laughs) And now you catch ghosts. Yeah, you could say that. And how many ghosts have you caught, Mr. Venkman? I'm not at liberty to say. And where do you put these ghosts once you catch them? Into a storage facility. And would this storage facility be located on these premises? Yes. And may I see this storage facility? No. And why not, Mr. Venkman? Because you did not use the magic word. (laughs) What is the magic word, Mr. Venkman? Please. May I please see the storage facility, Mr. Venkman? Why do you want to see the storage facility? Well, because I'm curious. I want to know more about what you do here. 
Frankly, there have been a lot of wild stories in the media, and we want to assess any possible environmental impact from your operation. For instance, the presence of noxious, possibly hazardous waste chemicals in your basement. Now, you either show me what is down there, or I come back with a court order. You go get a court order, and I'll sue your ass for wrongful prosecution. You can have it your way, Mr. Venkman. Why would that be wrongful prosecution? Prosecution. He didn't have a warrant. No, he said you come back with a warrant, and I will sue you for wrongful prosecution. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I missed that part. That you, if you come back with a warrant, like yo. Also, Walter Peck. Before he was Walter Peck, he was the dude from Real Genius. He was the teacher. He was, he was Jerry. acting like um, in this movie. He was acting like Tim Curry in Clue. Yeah, he's, he's that guy. So he was Jerry and Real Genius, and then he was Walter Peck, and then what else? There's other movies that he's been in where it's like that dick hole in the 80s, like back to back to back. Um, and it's just like, okay, like he did that. Um, but like we, oh, and then he was Thornburg in Die Hard. Oh, yeah, he was. So he was Ghostbusters, and then he was Jerry Hathaway. And real genius, and then he was Thornburg and um in Die Hard. And there we have it. He's the perfect asshole. Um, so then after that, you know, he dips out and they're like, fuck that dude. Like Peter doesn't even tell them about what was really going on. Um, and then the Peter comes back and tells them about the EPA. And Egon tells them that the city is experiencing a colossal increase in paranormal activity. And if you really think about it, it's, 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 he makes this allegory against a 600 pound Twinkie. Like eventually the cream is just going to out the sides of a 600 pound Twinkie. And we can't store it much longer. So even if he hadn't said open up the facility, it was going to explode. They had already stated as such. Mm -hmm. uh, Peter arrives at Dana's apartment after she's been possessed, stepping over the carnage of Lewis's party. Doesn't even doesn't even acknowledge that shit. Uh, Dana opens the door. She's dressed very nicely in a slinky red dress and says, "Are you the keymaster? Are you the keymaster?" And Peter's like, "No." So she slammed the door in his face and he knocked again. And then he says, yes. And she tries to have thought that was some him. type of sex talk. Yep. And she says that she's Zool and they must prepare for the coming of Gozer to destruct her. And to Peter's credit, he does not take advantage of her in this state. He's like, you know what? I'm going to give you some Thorazine to calm you down. Because back in the 80s, it wasn't a date rape drug. It was something that was used to calm people down. I'm going to calm you down. You're going to sleep this off. I'm going to call my folks. Lewis, at the same time, has run up to a random horse and asked if it's the gatekeeper. And the horse and the horse driver chases him off. So he runs away. And then the cops arrest him and take him to Ghostbusters headquarters. Because the psych ward didn't want to take him and the city jail wouldn't take him. Uh, Lewis reveals that his name is Vince Clortho, and he's the key master of Gozer. 
Uh, he goes on about the history of Gozer and how the God assumes various forms and would mean the destruction of the civilization he targets. At the same time, Peter calls and tells them that he's with Dana, who's calling herself the gatekeeper. Mm-hmm. Um, and then William or uh, Winston and Ray are going back to the office. Uh, Ray's examining the very odd blueprints of Dana's apartment building. And apparently the apartment building is like a superconductor for paranormal activity. Um, and he and Ray gets told by Winston that Winston thinks it is, you know, revelations. It's the end of the world. Ray's like, okay, you know, maybe, maybe not. Who knows? Um, when they get back to the headquarters, Walter Peck's return with a court order, a cop, and a con Edison worker, and he's intent on shutting down the facility, which he said in the first place. Like this has literally toxic emissions coming out of it. And so they shut it down um, and a warning buzzer sounds and everybody clears the building and the storage facility rumbles and begins to destroy the basement and ghosts just pour out the top of the building, out the roof. And they all go to Dana's apartment. Well, some of them go down the subway and some go into a cab, but most of them go towards the energy goes towards Dana's apartment where Lewis has now escaped the Ghostbusters clutches and has now gone back to his apartment to meet up with Dana to the key goes into the gate. Let's put it like that. Lewis will never remember that he had sex with Dana. It wasn't Lewis. It was it was Ben Clortho. Mm-hmm. And so they make out, they have the sex um, and they go they go up the stairs like a, a, a doorway opens up and they go up the stairs. Meanwhile, the Ghostbusters are in jail uh, and Ray shows Egon and Peter and all the inmates, the blueprints of Dana's apartment. And while he's telling them about the superconductor, Peter turns to all the inmates and he's like, are y'all getting this? <laughs> I'm like, dude, no, they're not getting it. But, you know, that's the most important thing. This is the most interesting thing happening in the cell at this time. Um, and then, uh, what's the guy's name? Family Matters? I call him Al. What the Carl fuck? Winslow. Carl Winslow. Thank you. I never liked Family Matters. What? I think his real name is Reginald something. Yeah, Reginald Van Vell Johnson, but uh Urkel just got on my nerves. And the fact that he never saw Myra as the wonderful person that she was just pissed me off. It was completely unbelievable to me. Uh but Carl Winslow shows up and he's like, yo, this this is where the mayor wants to come and see y'all. And this is where they talk to the mayor and convince him that, hey, if you let us save this, then you're saving a million lives of registered voters because this is going to have a disaster of biblical proportions. And Peter's like, cats and dogs sleeping together. So the mayor's like, yeah, get Walter Peck out of here. Y'all need a police escort. Go out there and save the world. And they go riding down the street while there's really dope beats playing. Dun dun. Dun dun. Dun dun. Dun dun. Dun dun. 
and they get to this building. And of course, instead of people actually running for their lives, they're all standing outside this building and cheering for the Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters get out their car and start waving and an earthquake happens and swallows the Ghostbusters whole. The end. That is New York City. That's exactly what people would do in New York City. They would <laughs> run towards that building. Instead of running away. And somehow they emerge unharmed from this earthquake that has sucked them all into the earth and walk into this building. The one thing that I saw that scared me the most about this movie was them having to walk up the stairs. But then I thought about it. In this situation, I wouldn't want to be in an elevator either. They walk a lot of stairs, a bunch of stairs like it is. And you just looked up and all you saw was more stairs. Uh, they get up to the top of the stairs and they open up the door to the roof and um, they see Lewis and Dana standing on the pedi- opposite pedestals uh, where the terror dog statues statues once stood. And Dana and Lewis stand on their pedestals and raise their arms to the gr- to the sky, and they get struck by bolts of lightning, which they then redirect towards the temple door, causing it to open up, signaling the arrival of Gozer the Gozerian. It's a name for you. Um, then the temple doors open. Dana and Lewis absorb their full power and turn into the demonic dogs, um, which now turn and roar at the Ghostbusters. Um, Gozer appears in the form of an exotic female with a tall, dark, flat top and blood red eyes. And then Egon points out that she's not really a woman, but rather takes the shape of whatever it wants, which is, you know, gender fluid. Cool, cool. Let's have that conversation. Uh, Peter goads Ray into talking to her, and Ray very formally requests that Gozer goes back to where it came from. And she asks him, Are you a god? And Ray says no. So she's like, well, then y'all Wrong can die. Answer. <laughs> right? They almost fell off the building. Right? And somehow the people on the ground saw this and they're screaming like, oh my God, no! Like, we saw how far they had to walk up there. Y'all can't see shit. Um, and Wentz is like, next time somebody asks you if you're a god, you say Yes. You say yes. And so they regroup and try to attack Gozer again, but she's just flipping out all their streams and lands behind them. Um, and she just disappears. She's like, fuck you guys. Let's get this party started. And they're celebrating, but then they hear Gozer's voice say, choose the form of the destructor. And somehow Peter knows what's going on and tells them all to clear their minds while talking about stuff that when he's talking about it, it really should have filled his mind with thoughts. But he's like, don't think of anything. Cl- clear your mind. And Ray thinks of the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man because of a camp that is actually a camp that is that is real and is nearby where he grew up at. But he thinks of the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man, something that can never harm anybody. You want to bet? This is where you learn just how much of a threat big white motherfuckers really are. <laughs> a 10-story white marshmallow man starts to walk the streets of the city crushing everything underfoot like we don't even get to see the true destruction that the stay puff marshmallow man put on new york city it's amazing how ingrained in pop culture this marshmallow man is right almost 30 years over 30 35 years later now here's the question did the stay puff marshmallow man's 
design get jacked by the BF Goodrich tire man? The Michelin man, you mean? The Michelin man, yeah. I don't. That's an excellent question. I'm, I, I want to see which. It. Hold on, I'm gonna look and see which one came out first. I'm pretty sure. It's- Hello. I'm here. You 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 muted yourself, so I wasn't sure. My bad. Um, but yeah, the Michelin Man uh, tire guy. Eight? No, it did not come out in 1888. Are they not going to say when the Michelin Tire Man was made? I would have thought they would have had a Wikipedia for that. Oh yeah, here we go. Um, it was introduced to the Lior exhibit in 1894. What? The Michelin Man? Yep. Babindam, commonly referred to in English as the Michelin Man or Michelin Tire Man, is the official mascot of the Michelin Tire Company. A humanoid figure consisting of stacked white tires, it was introduced to the Lion Ex- Exhibition of 1894, where the Michelin Brothers had a stand. He's one of the world's oldest trademarks still in active use. Wow. So the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man looked just like the Michelin Tire Man to me. They're similar. Very. I would have sued. I could have won. We have a suit. So the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man is walking down the street, fucking everybody up, and starts climbing up the wall of the building, King Kong style. When they when it gets close enough, they try to you know burn them. Burn them. But you. Can't destroy a marshmallow by burning it. You just ruin it for people like me who don't want it that black on the fucking s'more, Janice. I've never had a s'more. They're fucking wonderful. They are are so good. So here, here's what you do. Do you have a gas or an electric stove? I have both. So turn on the gas part of the stove so then a blaze comes up and you can Mm -hmm. toast your marshmallows inside your house. And then you just take the uh, the graham cracker and you take the Hershey's chocolate bar and you put the Hershey's chocolate bar onto the graham cracker. And then you take the mellow to quote my boy from uh, the, the Sandlot and you put the mellow on top of the, the chocolate on top of the graham cracker. And then you cover it with the other graham cracker piece. And then it is it is marvelous. It is. It's it's a magical thing. The only thing I would change, honestly, and this is just me being a glutton, is that instead of just doing a um, Hershey's chocolate bar, because it's just a regular Hershey's miniature, mm-hmm. I would take a Dove chocolate bar that has caramel in it or a Girardelli's chocolate bar with caramel in it, and I would put that on there. And then I would put the marshmallow on top. And, and so it would be a caramel s'more. You can because they're way better than regular graham crackers. Graham crackers. Cinnamon graham crackers are way better than regular graham crackers. Like, that's a given. Like, yes, you can. Uh, Maybe I'll try that. We have an outdoor uh, gas stove, like gas burners, and then in in the outdoor kitchen, whatever. And then I also have a fire pit so I could do real fire. Yeah. Have fun with it. Like, real talk. I've never had a s'more ever. It's a childhood staple, and if you tell Brandy that you never had a s'more, I'm sure she will be like, "We gotta, we gotta fix that." So I've had s'more pop tarts. Does that count? Fuck no. <laughs> you know what? I had a um, I had a 
Fruit Loops Pop-Tart. And it's as nasty as it sounds. And I feel like s'more Pop-Tarts, while they would be good, aren't nearly the, aren't as good as the real thing. So no, don't, don't look in that direction. <laughs> I'm going to try that. So what happens next is that they decide at the beginning when they're capturing um, Slimer, Egon tells everybody, don't cross the streams. The streams of their uh, of their nuclear power suits that they're shooting at at Slimer with. And uh, Peter says, what happens if we cross the streams? And Egon is like, well, each molecule in your body will separate from one another as you die. And Peter's like, yeah, thanks for telling us. We will keep that in mind. Um, and so later on in the movie where we are at this point, hold on, I'll go ahead and play that part. Why not? There it is on the ceiling. That's the one that got me. that that's my fault it's okay the table broke the fall there's something very important i forgot to tell you what don't cross the streams why it would be bad i'm fuzzy on the whole good bad thing what do you mean bad try to imagine all life as you know it stopping instantaneously and every molecule in your body exploding at the speed of light total protonic reversal all right that's bad okay all right important safety tip thanks egon so at the point where you tell me this and then later on in the movie, you tell me that the only way we're going to get through this is if we cross the streams. I'm like, I guess we're going to die. I mean, I'm like, I, when I watched that part, I was like, um, what else? I mean, you're going to die either way. Yeah. <laughs> the marshmallow man going to kill you or you're going to kill him. Yeah, true. And, and so I guess it's like, okay, one way we're going to save the, you know, the city. And the other way, because he's like, ain't. if you do that, if you cross some bad things happen, and I'm mm -hmm. like, yeah, the, the bad things are something gets blown up. That's what we want right now. Right now, and so they decide instead of trying to burn a marshmallow, <laughs> they decide that they're just going to go ahead and aim the um, their cross streams directly at the temple gate. And so they concentrate all their power on the temple gate and blew it up. And the marshmallow explodes and soap suds are all over everybody. And they're celebrating until they realize was that, that supposed to be soap suds or was it supposed to be marshmallows? It's supposed to be marshmallows, but it wasn't sticking oh. on nobody and it actually started evaporating. So, yeah. So, um, Peter realized that, you know, Dana and Lewis are probably dead. And they're like, I'm sorry about your girlfriend. And I'm like, when was she his girlfriend? Like one day that didn't even happen. When did she become his girlfriend? Like, we need to slow down for a second. When, she um, sa when he saved her. Mm, that's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. <laughs> and so... Then they see one of the dog arms 
is breaking off and there's a human hand underneath that's moving around. And so they're like, she's still alive. And they run over and they break off all the pieces and free her. Lewis kind of frees himself. Like he's back to being a nobody. And so they go back downstairs and they hug and everything. And they're all celebrating. And then Peter turns to Dana and literally forcibly kisses her. Like, I'm not trying to make this into a big thing, but she does not look comfortable with him leaning in for a kiss. I just not that way. At this point, I, th- I thought the opposite, but the same thing, if that makes sense. I thought that she was, I thought it was a consensual kiss. And I was thinking, why are you making a consensual kiss? You don't even know this. You don't even date this guy. Exactly. The last time that you were conscious as a human, you were getting ready for a date to get him off your back while the musician that you were talking to was like, who the fuck is this guy? Yeah, and like, I thought they wrote it as a consensual kiss. I'm sure but it was. I was like, it but just... I was watching it like, why would she be ready to kiss? I mean, I guess back in, in the 80s, it's like, if you save me, I, I kissed you kissed a girl or whatever. Yeah, I guess that was the whole thing. But they didn't make it seem like it was like a spur in the moment. Oh my God, you saved me. I give you a kiss. They made it seem like this is my boyfriend now. <laughs> I'm mm-hmm. kissing my boyfriend now, which was weird. Mm-hmm. And so that's the way that the movie ends. Um, and then they do like a montage of all the people in the movie. And I noticed that Ernie Hudson was way down the list in billing. Because he ain't Eddie Murphy. He was way down the list. He ain't the one. That's really it. It it's it's also we, we didn't talk about the car, but I love the car. I love the Ghostbusters car. It's one of my favorite movie cars. That in the Adam West Batman car. Mm, it is. It's it's iconic. I used to have it as a micro machine. I might still have it because what I do is I take my micro machines and when we play Monopoly, instead of using the little piece they have from Monopoly, I use my micro machines. And I remember they did more shit with the car, but I think that was in the second one. It was. Because I when I was watching, I like, I thought they did shit with all that shit on the car. Mm-hmm. I think that's the second movie. That's when they started controlling the uh, Statue of Liberty and all that. You know what I said yeah. too much. So, again, the next movie we're going to be doing is Ghostbusters 2, Electric Boogaloo, starring Bobby Brown. Bobby Brown. And um, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to all of these movies. I love these movies, like, period. There's no question that these movies have an extremely fond place in my heart. Like, Mm -hmm. extremely. And so, yeah. Yeah, Brandon, you got any final thoughts? No, I'm enjoying this. I think this is a good idea by us. You uh, had it. This is think, your good idea. I'm just with you. I don't think there's going to be any bad movies in these no. movies that we're Me. watching, which is Me. good. And I heard Afterlife was good. So we'll finish up with that one and mm-hmm. we'll get four good movies. Yeah. So uh, y'all can leave a review on Podchaser, uh, and then copy that and paste it in the Apple Podcast, and then copy that and paste it in the Good Pods. Uh, we want to thank each of y'all who are listening to the show via Good Pods. We really do appreciate that. Um, you can 
leave a voicemail at 916-633-1537. Uh, Brandon is on Twitter at that cool black nerd. Black is BLK. Um, I'm on Twitter at Rashani, and the show is Hindsight Reviews, R-E-V-U-E-S. Uh, you can email the show at Hindsight Movie Reviews, R-E-V-U-E-S, at gmail.com. Um, and you can donate to the show at patreon.com slash single simulcast or at buymeacoffee.com slash sscast or at uh, the Good Pods app. You can just leave something in the tip jar. And again, each move or each uh, donation goes towards either buying books for Ratchet Book Club or buying movies for hindsight. Um, I did go ahead and buy both of the Ghostbusters movies on Voodoo, Brandon. So if you need to watch them, they're both there. I got them in UHD. This movie was on uh, I know, I know it's 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 everywhere, but I want to support good movies. Collections, yeah. So I have all three of them because the uh, I had the the remake before I had the two the two classics. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're all available on Voodoo. Um, we want to thank y'all so much for listening. We do greatly appreciate it. Um, y'all be good. We're gonna holler at you later. Peace. That nigga really did say Bustin' makes me feel good, and we did not <laughs> say anything about it back in the eighties. We do not give that line as much credit as it deserves. That. Bustin makes me feel good. He said it <laughs> with his face. Bustin makes me feel good. And I feel that in my waist. Like, oh my God, y'all be good. Peace. for hindsight is coffee by cambo smith and it's from the free music archive this is single simulcast